Well, everybody, let me add my uh, word of welcome to all of you. It's, it's always fun to kind of stand up here and kind of watch that happen and just watch people with smiles on their faces say hello and greet people. We're really glad that you're here today. Um, you know, just uh, before I get to the message, just one last word of encouragement from me about those focus groups that Tony mentioned. Uh, this is such a crucial time in the history of our church, and we really need to hear from you. We really uh, want to kind of share what we're thinking as staff and leadership, and we want your feedback on whether we're heading the direction that God is uh, properly leading us as a church. So please make sure you get to at least one of those focus groups and give us some feedback. Uh, listen, uh, they're really, really important. We would love for you to do that. Well, as Tony said, we are in the second week of the series uh, that we've called Teach Me to Pray, and we're studying this very simple yet profound prayer that Jesus taught us. And, and the reason this is so important is because we talked about it last week a little. Uh, Christianity is not about following a bunch of rules or believing certain things. At its heart, Christianity is about a relationship. A relationship with the God of the universe, with, with our creator. And to make any relationship work, you need to communicate, right? And prayer is that communication with God. But it's complicated, and it's, it's hard to get our brain around sometimes because it's a, it's a little strange. Um, I love this quote from Lily Tomlin. You guys remember her, the comedian? Uh, she said this. She said, when I talk to God, people call it prayer. But when God talks to me, they call it schizophrenia, right? So it's, uh, prayer can be kind of a strange thing. And, uh, and so that's why we're studying it together. And last week we started by looking at the very beginning uh, of this prayer that Jesus taught, this kind of model prayer that he gave us. And we looked at some amazing things like no one had ever called God Father throughout the history of the world until Jesus came along and he told us we could call God Father. And what that means, that we have a Heavenly Father that is just waiting to hear us, that, that loves us, that no matter where we are, we can talk to Him, and He is there, and He is ready to act. And we talked about that hallowing His name means that we get to tell our Heavenly Father how awesome He is. We get to give Him the honor and praise and glory that is due His name. But now this week, we want to move to the second part, the second phrase in that prayer. And I'd like to invite you to just read those words together with me, okay? Let's read them together. Your kingdom come... Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to talk about that uh, together this morning. And, uh, and I want to start by, uh, by showing you something. This is a tree. Well, it's not really a tree. It's actually a piece of art in Mozambique. And uh, it was created there after a very, very violent, long civil war. And there was an artist that created it, and it's called the Tree of Life. Now, that imagery of the tree of life is very common in, in Christian art over the centuries because it's kind of a picture of, of heaven someday or that, that first future new creation, that, that new world where everything's going to be exactly the way God wanted it to be. It's kind of a picture back to the Garden of Eden and what it was like before sin and death and destruction became a part of the world. And so you see that tree of life imagery in lots of different kind of art. Like I, Betty and I even have a, a, a rug in our house that has the tree of life on it. It's a pretty common symbol. But, but this one from Mozambique is really interesting. In fact, if you wanted to see it, it's actually now in the British Art Museum in, in London. And, uh, and the reason it's there, the reason it's so amazing is because the artist that created it, when you get close to it and get a close look at it, you see the, uh, the artist actually made it out of a bunch of old weapons, AK-47s and machetes and, uh, and artillery shells. He basically took all the, all the weapons of war and destruction and pain from that civil war and recreated them into something incredibly beautiful. 
It kind of tugs at your heart a little, doesn't it? That, that idea that, that, that we could somehow take everything that causes us pain and, and sorrow and destruction in our world and somehow turn that around so it would create something beautiful and, and full of hope. Now, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, I guess you have, uh, it's an election year again. In fact, we're going to be electing a new governor here in Illinois later this fall. We'll have the primaries coming up in March, and uh, you're already seeing the ads on TV. And uh, um, uh, I, I think, by the way, you know, our number one qualification for governor in Illinois is can they stay out of prison? I think that's about it, right? But, but so, so here's my question for you. I want you to imagine something uh, f- f- with me for a minute. Imagine if it wasn't just governor of Illinois we were going to be voting for this year, but imagine if all of a sudden, instantly, every single politician in America, from county dog catcher all the way up to president of the United States, imagine if every single one of them was instantly term limited and they couldn't run for office again. I expected applause. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought might happen there, right? Yeah, right, right. But, 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 but imagine if, if we got to start over, if we kind of got to reboot our whole government, our whole political system, and this time, through some miracle, we elected only the best and most qualified person for every single position. I mean, think about that for a minute. That, that in every single position of government, again, from lowest to highest, from you know, local county to, to, to national, if we were able to elect the perfect person for every one of those offices, and then they, over the next couple of years, were able to put the perfect programs and perfect laws in place so to do the exact right thing every moment for our society. Think about that for a minute. Here's my question. If that happened... Would it really change anything? I mean, would every marriage all of a sudden be the perfect marriage and no spouse would ever cheat on their spouse and they would, uh, they would be fully dedicated to one another? Would, would every parent be a perfect parent and would they be patient and loving and kind and always there for their kids? Would there be no more poor? Would we be able to, to take care of uh, all the poor in our society so that no one needed a handout, no one was poor anymore, everybody uh, had a fulfilling job? Would we be able to do away with unemployment so that everybody could work in a job that was right for them and, and, and that they loved? Maybe most important of all, would every one of us individually have a, the sense of self-control that we need so we could get our lives on the right track and we could finally accomplish those New Year's resolutions for once and we'd be able to live the kind of lives we want would our government be able to do that for us? Would there be no more mass shootings that, that would never happen again? Would there be no more hurricanes or other natural disasters or mudslides and things that destroy property and take people's lives? Would crippling debt be gone? Would we finally find a cure for cancer or whatever it is that ails us? What do you think? Do you think that the world would be the kind of place we want it to be? see some heads shaking no and i agree you see folks here's the point yeah our world is messed up and our lives are are broken and there is no human system that can fix that there is no amount of human effort that can fix what is wrong in our world We need something outside of us. We need something new and unprecedented to break into our world if we're really going to be able to build trees out of weapons, if we're really going to be able to fix what is wrong in our society. And the good news is 
That's happened. You know, after 30-odd years of life, Jesus shows up on the scene as this new rabbi, this new teacher, and, and he says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and he says, he uses that phrase, kingdom of heaven, a lot. He talks about this kingdom. And I've got to be honest with you, for many, many years, I was very confused about what Jesus meant for that. I mean, I even remember being at seminary and leaving seminary and going, I, I still didn't figure this out. I still don't exactly know what Jesus means when he talks about this kingdom of heaven. And he does it a lot. He talks about bringing the kingdom into this world. He talks about, in parables, stories about the kingdom. What is he talking about? Well, here's part of the problem. Here's why it's kind of hard for us to get our brains around this. Because when we think kingdom, we think like castles and, uh, and borders and, uh, and, and a king sitting on a throne and his subjects just trying to make him happy, right? Dilly dilly, right? That's, that's kind of what we picture when we think kingdom. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus wasn't talking about a, a, a castle, or he wasn't talking about a throne. He wasn't talking about a place where people have to be loyal subjects to their king. What he was talking about was a way of behavior, a way of living, a, a rule, a, a will of God at work in our lives. We see it in Jesus' ministry. I mean, think about it for just a minute. First of all, who are the people that Jesus chose to be subjects of that kingdom? Was it the best and the brightest? No. Jesus chose everyone to be subjects of that kingdom. He, he chose uh, the poor. He chose the broken. He chose prostitutes and tax collectors, the outcasts of the society. He chose men and women, which was incredibly unusual in his day. He chose all people, and he welcomed them all to be part of that kingdom. He made it clear that everyone was welcome and valued in his kingdom. And when Jesus taught about the kingdom, he, he taught about a kingdom that was very different than the way earthly kingdoms behave. He, he talked about a kingdom where the meek inherit the earth. He talked about a kingdom, and he taught about a kingdom where people love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them. He taught about a kingdom where instead of getting revenge, we turn the other cheek. Jesus did miracles as signs of that kingdom. Think about that for a minute. When he talked about the kingdom coming, it meant miraculous change in people's lives. The blind received their sight. The lame were able to walk, some of them for the first time ever in their lives. Even lepers. Even lepers were healed and welcomed back into society. That's what the kingdom was all about, according to Jesus. And the kingdom was a kingdom of justice and sacrifice. And he proved that by going to the cross. Our king went to the cross to give his life, to pay the price for our sins, to, to, to take care of everything in our lives that would keep us from being a part of that kingdom. And he showed his mercy and his grace. And then finally, and maybe the most amazing kingdom moment of all, when Jesus stepped from the tomb on that first Easter Sunday, he declared that death has no place in his kingdom. And in his kingdom, you live forever. And folks, we experience that kingdom. We're, we're going to experience this morning as we, as we gather around his word and, and in just a little bit as we receive the forgiveness and grace he offers us through his body and blood in the Lord's Supper. Folks, when people receive forgiveness that transforms their lives, that removes their guilt, 
that, that helps them set aside the brokenness of their past and have new life, when that happens as a part of his kingdom, it's the kingdom coming big time in our lives. And then when we take that forgiveness and love and grace that we've received, and when we go out into the world and when we share it with others, when we love those who are unlovable, when, when, when we uh, set aside our own needs and our own selfish needs for the sake of taking care of others and, and, and bringing the kingdom into their lives, that's the kind of kingdom Jesus was talking about. And folks, it's only that kingdom that can really change this world. The book of Revelation talks about what that eventual kingdom fully complete is going to look like. You know, some people think the book of Revelation is a scary book. It's not. It's a book full of hope. Look at these words. This, this is the eventual kingdom fully manifested here on this earth. I heard a loud voice saying, now the dwelling place of God is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. But what does all this have to do with prayer? You're going, okay, Mark, that's interesting, and it's theological, and it's kind of deep and heavy, but, but what does it have to do with prayer? Why is Jesus teaching us right at the beginning of this prayer that we should be praying about this kingdom? Well, well here's why, because all too often when I think about my prayer life, it's more about my needs and what I want. I love Amazon, by the way. I, I love Amazon because I can sit in my pajamas at my kitchen table and summon anything I want, right? And it just shows up the next day at my front door. It's amazing. You know, I'm, I need, need some new t-shirts, bang, ordered, Amazon Prime, there they are the next day. It's incredible, right? I even, you know, have some friends that have those little buttons, you know, oh, auto laundry detergent, press the button, the stuff shows up. It's, it's just it's just amazing. This, this happened over Christmas break. We had a flood uh, about a month and a half ago, and we lost a bunch of stuff. And one of the things we lost was a box of old pictures. But the cool thing was, I had the negatives for those pictures. And I've always wanted to get those pictures scanned in. So again, over Christmas break, I'm sitting there in my pajamas at breakfast one morning on my iPad. I'm looking on Amazon, and I find this little thing that, that you can scan negatives in and, and get your old pictures scanned in. And I'm like, that's cool, I want that. And I ordered it, and guess what? It came that evening, that same day, bang, and I was scanning my pictures away, you know? It's kind of like if somebody told you like 100 years ago that you'd be able to tap on a piece of glass and summon whatever you wanted to your front door, they'd call you a witch, right? All right? But now we get to do it. It's amazing. But folks, here's the problem. All too often, I treat prayer that way, and I treat God like he's Amazon right? It's like I'm sitting at my kitchen table in my morning devotion time, and I'm like, God, I got this need in my life. Fix this for me. Or, or God, I got that problem. I want you to take care of that for me. And if you could do it by tonight, just like Amazon does, that would be awesome, you know? Now, now, now I want to make sure we're really clear about something. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with taking our problems to God and asking him to intervene in our lives. In fact, Jesus is going to teach us further into this Lord's Prayer that that's exactly what we should be doing. We should go, be going to God with our wants and, and with our needs. And, and he wants to hear those prayers. The, the problem is not that we ask God for stuff. The problem is that we ask God for stuff first. 
And what Jesus is trying to teach us with this, this petition of this prayer, this thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, is that, that when we pray, we should be putting his kingdom, his will, his needs first in our lives. Why? Because God's more important than us? No, because God is all about fixing what is broken in this world. We as Christians, if we're followers of Jesus, our first priority should be, how can God use me to make a difference in the world around me? How can God use me to bring his kingdom, to usher in that new age in in little ways now and in big ways eventually someday so that this world is transformed? That ought to be the first thing we pray about, the best priority in our prayer life. So I want to challenge you to think about praying some very dangerous prayers. Two things. First of all, I want to challenge you this morning when you pray to pray this, Lord, make your kingdom known in me. Think about what that means for a minute. When, When you pray that prayer, what you're saying to God is, look, God, I don't want my priorities to shape my life. I want your priorities to shape my life. I, I, I want you to shape me into the person you want me to be. I want you to take me where you know I need to go uh, for your mission. Think about what that means for things like your career. All of a sudden, your career isn't a way of building your own castle. It's a way of establishing his kingdom in the world. It's a way of making a difference in his name in the world. Think about what that means for your relationships. When you're saying, Lord, I want your kingdom to come in my life, what it's saying is all of a sudden those relationships become about God's plan and his priorities and what he knows is best for our lives instead of our own wants and desires being satisfied in those relationships. It's really saying, Jesus, I want to be more like you. I want to, I'm going to be all about your kingdom in my life. And here's the second dangerous prayer I want to challenge you to pray. And that is, Lord, make your kingdom known through me. Make, make your kingdom known through me and the world around me. Everywhere I go, whether it's at the grocery store or whether it's, it's in my home or in my neighborhood or whether it's where I go to work on Monday morning, wherever it is, Lord, Bring your kingdom into that place through me. And again, think about what that does to your daily life, to your relationships, to your work. If every moment what you're praying for is, Lord, I want to find a way to bring your truth, to bring your love, to bring your grace, to bring your forgiveness into this world around me. These are dangerous prayers to pray, aren't they? I I told you that... uh, that I got this thing to scan pictures, right? So, so I spent a, a, like a whole day, one whole afternoon and then another whole evening scanning in over 2,000 old pictures. And, uh, and here's one of them. This is, this is my mom and my dad. And, uh, and, and the reason uh, this picture's uh, kind of so important to me over all those pictures I scanned in is because as far as I could tell, this is the last picture we have of my dad before he got cancer and died. He died at 52. I'm gonna be 60 this year. I feel like every year is borrowed time. You know, I, I feel like every year is a year that my dad never got to experience that I get to experience. Kind of amazing. But, uh, but 
it was especially difficult for my dad because it took three years for that cancer to kill him. And it started with a tumor in his spine that basically paralyzed him from the waist on down. So the last three years of his life, he couldn't walk. That's the last picture I have of him actually standing up. And, uh, and, and you would think that those three years w- would have been, you know, the most difficult and traumatic years for our family. But I can tell you this, we saw God's kingdom come in amazing ways during those three years. I'll give you just a few examples. I, I saw God's kingdom come in his life, in the life of my mom, when one day I thought I'd surprise my dad and, and just stop by the house to see him, and I walked into the family room where they had his hospital bed, and, and I walked in, and there was his small group, hand in hand, around his bed, praying for him. I saw God's kingdom come in that moment. Or uh, I saw God's kingdom come actually a couple years later when I was talking with my mom and I said to my mom, Mom, those had to be the three hardest years of your marriage. And she said they were the three most beautiful, wonderful years of our marriage. They were the best years of our marriage. That was God's kingdom coming. I saw God's kingdom come in his life when on the last day of his life, we, we knew the end was near. The nurses had warned us, and he was kind of coming in and out of consciousness. And it, in, in one of those moments when he was a little more lucid, he said to my mom and I, who were by the bedside, he said, would you guys sing my favorite hymn? Now, all his life, my dad could not carry a tune. I think his range was like three notes, and he'd go up a little or down a little, depending on what the tune was doing. That was it. He was like a, a monotone singer. Uh, but, but he wanted us to sing that hymn. And so my mom and I stood by his bed and we started to sing that hymn. And all of a sudden, he stunned us by joining us in singing in perfect pitch. God's kingdom was coming in his life. And it came fully later on that evening. Or maybe, best of all, I saw God's kingdom come in his life when about a year later, Um, we found out that one of his hospice nurses who was very far from God because of the influence of what she saw in him and in my mom during that time started going to church again and became a believer and follower of Jesus. We saw God's kingdom come in her life. Folks, God's kingdom can come into the most broken, painful circumstances and bring hope and joy God's kingdom gives us the ability to take a bunch of old weapons of destruction and turn them into something beautiful in our lives and the lives of people around us. So this week I'm challenging you to pray a dangerous prayer. Pray that God's kingdom would come in your life. When you get on your knees or wherever it is you pray to God this week, Make the first priority in your prayer not what you need, but God's will and God's kingdom plan, his mission in the world. In fact, let's, let's do that right now. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, first of all, thank you that we get to call you dad, that, that you are our loving heavenly father who cannot wait to hear from his kids and, and who is just eager to, to do, to, to listen and, and to act in our lives. But Lord, I, I pray that selfishly, I, I all too often turn you into Amazon in the sky and I just want to make it all about you meeting my needs instead of first figuring out how I can be a part of your kingdom, how I can be a part of your mission, how I can be used by you 
to bring hope and healing and joy and peace into a very broken world. Lord, let your kingdom come in me and let your kingdom come through me into the lives that you give me the privilege of touching every day. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd also hear us as together we do pray that prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day.